0: Alright, starting the episode. The podcast The Podcast. No, the, the just... podcast The Kyok. Cork. The Kyok. The Cork brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Char- Charles Cork. <Kjok>.
1: Cork. <laughs> it's the episode you card you, 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 just, you card. Alright.
0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to Chats, a television podcast, season four, The Chats Room. My name is Magellan, and together with my very good friend, we are the Columbus and Magellan of podcast journalism. It's Alan.
1: You're so... (laughs) It doesn't work like that. You just get to say your name. (laughs) I saw you I saw you live taking the notes in our Google Doc on that part and yeah, I was like, oh Magellan's so happy. His name they said his name.
0: I always get a little bit excited. Yeah.
1: It's I a good name. It. And it's a good Oh, I was gonna say it's a good show. This is a good show that we're doing. Um how are you doing? How are things?
0: Oh, I'm I'm feeling okay. I it's one of those uh we record Sunday evenings, usually or we're trying to. Uh, And it's one of those Sunday evenings where I have a lot to do to prep for school tomorrow. But this is my sanity break. Talking about the insanity of this show. Yeah, what?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I guess the best thing about talking about the newsroom is that it like you watch it and you're like, I'm crazy, right? This is bad, right? Right. And then you get to talk to me and you go, yeah. Oh, thank God. Okay. I'm not crazy. Yeah. Because nobody on the show believes that it's
0: weird is an army uh, medic. And they all talk so smart sometimes that you get deceived into thinking that it's supposed to be good and I'm wrong for thinking it's bad. Who knows? Medallion,
1: I know what you know is uh, what the show is about and what we do here and what we watch here. Give it to the (laughs) (laughs) the kids.
0: It's true. I do know all that stuff. That's right. Um, So here on Chats, every season we watch a show, a TV show, that has some either cult status or just some specificity to it that we want to pick apart and talk about. Every week we watch two episodes of that show, so this season we are covering Aaron Sorkin's The Newsroom, and this week we talked about Season 1, Episode 3, The 112th Congress, and Season 1, Episode 4, I'll Try to Fix You. We'll talk about The 112th Congress first, which was written by Aaron Sorkin, and the rare uh, and credit, and Gideon Yago directed by Greg Motola. It aired on July 8, 2012, and the episode takes place essentially throughout the second half of 2010. To summarize the episode, after an on-air apology for the failings of the morally bankrupt news media, Will is in hot water with Leona Lansing, the head of ACN. While Charlie covers for Will in a meeting with Leona and her son, Reese, we get flashbacks to the remainder of 2010, where Will went on a months-long tirade against the Tea Party and the Koch brothers. Leona threatens to fire Will for trash-talking the company's financiers, and it all culminates in Congressional Election 112, where Will, Sloan, Elliot, and another guy announce, <laughs> announce the results. Meanwhile, Will is bringing dates to the office to make Mac jealous, and Maggie, Don, and Jim go through more awful relationship drama. Alan, what did you think of the 112th Congress? Magellan, Leona Lansing
1: uh, is the only character on this show whose name is more than two syllables. And uh, that is what I thought about the episode. Thank you for listening. I just realized that (laughs) as we were looking at this, um, the first thing about it, you got Don, Maggie,
0: Will. Sloan, Jim, Nina. Mackenzie. Mac. They call her Mac. But her name is Mackenzie. Her, no one ever calls her Mackenzie on the show. Will does. What? He says, who who's we? My executive producer, Mackenzie McHale. Mackenzie McHale. Mackenzie <laughs> It's a fun little jig. What did, sorry, what did I think of the
1: 112th Congress? Yeah, that's what uh, I want to know. Uh uh. uh, uh, uh. This show drains me of a lot of my life force, but it's fun. <laughs> but like in a good way. I I okay. I'm gonna be positive. We're gonna stay positive. It's 2018. Um, <laughs> I have to. There's something about constantly reminding myself what year it is that <laughs> to to like put myself up. That's really funny to me. Mm-hmm. Like, do you think in the in like the 1800s they were like, "Come on, it's gonna be fine. This boat works. It's it's functioning. It's going over the water. It's 1812. Come on, it's 1812."
0: <laughs> they're going to write overtures about this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: The, yeah, they're going to write overtures about 2018 also. Uh and how we watched the newsroom. This this episode, I really liked the framing device. That's what I will say I liked. Um I thought yeah. Charlie playing uh catcher for Will's um at bat baseball metaphor that I can't take home uh to home base. Hey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um basically Charlie defending Will's Will's uh New methodology and his his whole like way of doing the news to the heads is cool. It, we get a lot of Charlie, and I love Charlie to death. I think he's the best character I've gone on record as saying that. Um, but just everything in the in the present, like everything in the or whatever the flashbacks, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. to the rest of 2010 is just dull. I think the congressional election is good territory for them to tackle, like on th- on news night, um, but it doesn't. Mm-hmm like I love I think the newsroom is honestly at its best when you get stuff like the end of the second episode where we're reporting the news and and like the drama is being set aside for hard hitting news. That stuff is fun and popcorny and exciting. But like watching four people sit at like a desk with like extremely bright primary red colors talking about um polling results um like doesn't feel like a satisfying conclusion to an episode that is more concerned with uh will and his takedown of the tea party um which again this show is intentionally dated we've said that before but it makes it feel more dated to talk about a thing that like is not in the news anymore um and just felt like the biggest deal like oh my god the tea party (laughs) like talking about them like they're a shadow government and that they are controlling the world except the, the plot twist of this episode is they told they control us too it's crazy
0: yeah i mean it you know it this is an episode that was created, written and, and released during 2012, uh, a year that was itself an election year, where people were most likely concerned about the Tea Party having another uh, a significant influence on a national election. And so when you take it in the context of the moment in which it was created, maybe this episode would have been more impactful for, for people who were politically engaged at the time. But now, in 2018, it just feels—we kind of lose the context of it being made in 2012, and it only feels like we're watching a show set in 2010. Um, And so that kind of—it makes this feel less significant because there's no longer an audience for this conversation about the Tea Party. Because I think what Aaron Sorkin was doing is saying, look at— We didn't think that this would come to anything before. And they had a huge sweep of uh, different elections in different states. What if this happens again? What if they have renewed influence? Um, That said, you know, these are the kinds of issues that we dealt with in 2016 in in the election back then. So it was just perhaps by a different name. Um, But I think ultimately the takeaway is that as we get further and further away from the 2010-2012 moment, this episode becomes more dry and more um, esoteric. Because That's you, a good point. Because you just have to know more to be able to access why it's significant and why people care about this.
1: Right. I, I definitely did more Googling in this episode than I have before just to remember people's names. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember hearing about Michelle Bachman and, and how horrible a lot of the things that she said were. But oh, yeah. I was like, I got to, like...
0: Get, I remember I need, Kristen like, Wiig playing her on SNL and, you know, like that kind of thing.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I know the impressions of her and stuff. Same thing with Sarah Palin. Um, Same situation even in the show where it's like, oh, we're going to put her on the TV to make fun of her. Ha! Ah, she crazy. Uh, but, you know, I, all I could think about in this episode was all of the stuff around the tea party. Because what is the impetus for Will talking about the tea party? Is it really just the scene where he's like drunk at two in the morning and he's like, Charlie, Charlie. The teapot, why aren't we talking about this this is a big deal they're controlling everything they're going to get on the ballot this is the news we need a well informed electorate and like that's the reason that they go on this like month this like extremely long tirade about all this stuff yeah i didn't it, i didn't see I, I mean it's also because yeah they're on the ballot in the 112th congress but like what prompted that why 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 was this supposed to feel important? I the mean
0: it, it it smacks again of this sort of hindsight is 2020 problem with the newsroom where um you know Sorkin is saying if only somebody had looked at Utah polling data back in whatever July of 2010 then maybe we could have done something. Uh it's like that's you're right that that's not really a compelling impetus for this all starting. But all the characters are convinced that that it makes sense. Like, Will gives this whole spiel to Charlie, and then he leaves the room, and Mac is like, you sent him that polling data, didn't you? And Charlie's like, yes, I did. Ooh, I I knew this exactly would happen if I sent him, if I faxed him a sheet of numbers. (laughs) It's like, okay, He would get obsessed with it and change the way that we do the news for several months. Yeah, so, I don't know. You're right that it ultimately... There are, I think, just stories that are done in this show where we kind of have to accept that the inciting way that they f- figure out about it is, is uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Manufactured for us um, because Sorkin and the writing team want to get to the point of saying, okay, if this story was talked about in a different way that was closer to what we would have wanted, what would that have looked like? And I think to them, it's less important the mechanics of how that conversation gets started um, to the show's detriment. Uh, And there's other stuff that I like
1: about the beginning of the episode. Like um, I think his, uh, his monologue at the beginning, his quote unquote apology that converts into a history lesson about the news and why we report the news the way we do Mm -hmm. was cool. It's like, Oh yeah. Again, this reeks of like Aaron Sorkin loves the thing that he's, his subject matter so much that he will literally sit his audience down for 10 minutes and have them just like listen to somebody recite a Wikipedia article about it. But it's delivered very well. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Daniels really carries it. Exactly. Cause he's, I mean, like I said, he's just saying things that are true, but the relevance of like, and all of the rest of the news media is bad and we've been bad up until right this minute. And then that is a really good shift to the boardroom framing device uh, where, leona and reese and the third guy who i forget his name is like kevin or something uh, whatever his name is are just like charlie what is your guy can't do you're
0: not allowed to do this you're he's too much of a maverick he's bad you um, have to you have to admit that uh i mean you, you have to commend this episode for being able to keep us on track with all the information it's giving us when it has such a convoluted system of timing um like that framing device with the meeting, even though it kind of makes no sense that Charlie's invited into a meeting and doesn't know what it's about for two and a half hours, (laughs) um, that framing device is a really effective way to move us quickly through this time period without us losing our orientation. Um, So there is is a lot of like deft structure and screenwriting in the show, even if the message of it is (laughs) weird and, and, and bad sometimes. And we get Charlie doing a Burgess Meredith impression, which is worth it ultimately. Yeah. Do you want to just talk about that meeting scene to kind of clear that?
1: Yeah. Speaking of really good writing, the fact that Leona doesn't speak until the final scene and then she speaks. (laughs) Yeah. We can throw some echo on that if you want. (laughs) The fact that she like gets the coolest line of the show so far um, is amazing. But it's mostly uh, Reese yelling at Charlie about ratings and being like, this guy cannot, you can't, you can't, mm, people, people want like old news. They don't, people want like fun stories. They don't want this guy yelling about Republicans. He's alienating his half of his audience. Like, what are you doing? This is not how companies work. Just cart like evil villain
0: stuff. Well, I appreciated that this meeting moves the stakes from ratings, which is sort of You know, it's kind of this arbitrary problem that the show writers can make up, and they can make up the numbers of the ratings, so it doesn't feel that meaningful. Yeah. Um, It moves it from ratings to, like, we are angering corporate donors. This news organization is owned by a huge conglomerate of different companies, uh, and we're just going to fire Will if he keeps doing this. That, to me, feels like there's more... Like there's more of a message in that conflict for us to take away because if the conversation is always just about ratings and we're just worried about ratings, then the show is just saying the big obstacle to the news being done right is that people are fucking dumb and they don't want the fucking news done right. And it just feels really cynical and cruel. But if instead the problem is we are owned by the super rich and they are going to control what we say... Uh, something about that feels a little more empowering as a as a conflict that needs to be dealt with, at least in my opinion. It it's a more
1: it's definitely a more plausible like re- gives gives the news night team a more like plausible rebellious plot line. Yeah, because because them being like, oh, the ratings are bad. That can just turn into like eighties action movie. The kids beating up the adults. Like, oh, we don't care about ratings. Ratings don't matter as long as we get right. the news right. Yeah, hooray! And it's like easy to just give them the victory there, um, and say
0: ratings don't matter. Period. Done. And it speaks to ever. this, Yeah, and it speaks to this problem that I, again, I think I referenced this article last time, but I read a, an NPR article that was released, or an NPR op-ed, I guess, that was released um, when the show came out that had some criticisms talking about how the show is actually pretty cynical as opposed to optimistic. Um, and one of the things that it highlighted was, uh, I, I don't remember the line exactly, but I guess there was a line in one of the first episodes where Max says that she would rather do the news for 100 people the right way than like 100,000 people the wrong way. And what the article saying is like, but if the point of the news is to educate the electorate, why is it better to not <laughs> do the news for a lot of people? Um, there's there's but sort you of You actually an inherent, should care about your ratings. Yeah, there's an inherent uh, conflict there with like doing it right versus we're trying to educate everybody. Um, and I think steering us away from that mode of thinking keeps us viewers from worrying about that contradiction and instead turns the show into a like, you know, fuck corporate corporations. They're the worst thing, uh, which is more fun <laughs> as a viewer. Maybe it, maybe it's uh, insulating me against some other problems about the world and about society, but I, I'm more on board with, with that.
1: I, I think the show's best attempt so far to put an end to this ratings discussion is it's actually in the second episode when uh, Will is talking to Nina at the new year's party and he's like berating her for doing gossip and she's like people. And then like when he talks to the date later about that same conversation and saying like people like this cause it feels good to like read like hear stories that are dramatic and interesting. Like not everything ha- like yes news should challenge my brain and, and challenge my opinions and inform me and be bipartisan, etc. But also I'm like sitting at home after a long day at work and I want to know like what's going on in the world and and enjoy it and, or at least like be entertained by it somewhat. Mm -hmm. And so that like, Will is not painted in that scene as the cool, good, correct guy. He gets embarrassed in front of a lot of people because he yells at this woman and and basically talks down to her and says, nobody wants tabloid crap. That's
0: stupid and bad for our brains, but they need news. Yeah. Well, we'll talk a lot more about that in depth. Yeah, for sure. episode. Um, so, so we have this big boardroom scene, uh, we're introduced to Leona Lansing, who like you said, has an amazing speech at the end, um, and you gotta admit, the one thing that Aaron Sorkin is, is unparalleled at doing as a screenwriter is these monologues where characters, uh, use folksy idioms and turns of phrase to talk about how they are gods. (laughs) Um, he's, he was the writer of, of, um... Alec uh, Alec Baldwin's monologue in um, Malice, where he's the doctor. Have you seen this clip? Uh, I don't think so. And he's like, uh, basically, the whole framing of the speech is Alec Baldwin's like, his character is like uh, being tried for malpractice because he's a surgeon. And Mm -hmm. um, he says something like, the question, like, you're asking me, do I have a God complex? And then he talks about how hard it is to get into medical school and whatever, whatever. And he's like, so when you're asking, like when your family members are praying to God, God wasn't in heaven. He was in surgical room 2B. Uh, and his name was whatever my name is. So you ask me if I, got, <laughs> if I have a God complex? Mr. Whoever, I am God. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like, it's it's really cool. Like, it's a really cool speech. Um, and Baldwin really delivers it. Um and, you know, Sorkin also wrote the, like, uh, You Can't Handle the Truth. And he just has all these great moments of characters trying to exert their influence or, or their power over everybody else. Um, right. It's usually it's usually older men yelling, though. <laughs> yeah. Or, Which, like, when, when President Bartlett enters into the very first episode of The West Wing towards the end of it. Um, I can't remember what he says, but... It's a similar it's a similar monologue where he kind of starts with like a aphorism or a tale from the Bible. And then he ends up basically getting in somebody's face and telling him to fuck off. (laughs) It's like that's kind of his rhythm. But he's really, really good at it. Yeah, he's he's also it's sometimes that can go negatively and and
1: just be like make it's it's to make either liberals or whoever the audience of the show is intended to be feel really smart and like superior like, I've I had always read that, like, there are some credi- criticisms of the West Wing that say that, like, often they would bring on characters to that show just for the ca- main cast to insult and to, like, throw facts at. Yeah. And, and this person's like, gun control is good, actually. And then they're like, um, actually, blah, 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 facts, 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 in your face, in your face, owned. Uh, and
0: yeah, they do that with the Tea Party in this episode, too. That's exactly. Kind of yeah. Bad structure uh
1: which is yeah where where he ends up pivoting to and i I like some of that stuff i think like the scene where it's like the the husband the the guy and the lady and uh they're just like where where do you get the money from and they're like oh we get it from the donors they give us a dollar five dollars or ten whatever they can afford and he's like oh cool have you heard of um the guy who founded coca-cola um
0: uh the coke foundation and they're like um That's who's not, that it's not it's not coca-cola I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they think they think it's Coca-Cola.
1: No, they think and they're like, do you mean Coca-Cola? And he's like, no, shut up. <laughs> no, the Coke brothers. Cool. Yeah, the Coke brothers end up coming into this episode. Uh, yeah, like the the like three and third and fourth richest man in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, after I think he said Bill Gates and uh, Rockefeller. I think. Uh, I don't
0: remember. I mean,
1: yeah like that. apologies I remember that that's also probably changed since Silicon Valley has blown up that's a lot more since this show um like Jeff Bezos might be up there right I don't know about like, like, top zucky. five Zucky Z- it was, <laughs> <a> little, <laughs> it was zucky, zucky Zucky
0: Yucky Zucky
1: oh a Yucky Zucky is when you
0: go to Harvard and then you make a company <laughs> yeah that's
1: when you uh, call a Yucky Zucky
0: just to close the book on Leona I mean she's her that that actor's amazing Jane Fonda yeah, yeah, is that Jane Fonda? Is that who that is? Yes. I, Jane Fonda is one of those people who I know her name, but I have no idea what she looks like. But now She's the god. I mean, Jane Fonda is really good. Um, yes. I love her delivery of, <laughs> she like wants Will to do puff pieces again. Um, and She's like, he was great at that shit. <laughs> her <laughs> delivery of that was so good. Yeah, she, she, she knows where to put the emphasis really well. Yeah, and then finishing on, now do you want to play golf or do you want to fuck around? Like, oh my god! Oh my god! We have this show has a villain. We have somebody scary who's really cool. This is awesome. She can kill Will, and she, uh, you know, her everything about her is the reason that I kind of remember this episode as being decent, even though it There's was huge decent. swaths of it that aren't what we've talked about. Yeah. Um. So let's so rewinding back to the beginning. This episode does news for like the first eighteen minutes. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, last week I was like, this would be great if this was a show about news. And they do that for a little bit. I really liked at the beginning the conversation they had about the Times Square bombing and how they chose to do a boring version of it because they knew that it, the problem was being handled um, and that it was like a lone wolf thing. Um, that, was, that was a really cool conversation to have at the beginning of the episode, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, dude, that, them in boardrooms talking about like how to present pieces is always really cool, because you don't think about like how much work goes in or like what is worth presenting to people, and the whole like oh the guy who reported it is technically Muslim, but they're not going to tell you that because he didn't call nine one one, he told the other guy to call nine one one, all of that,
0: very interesting stuff. I agree. And I've had plenty of conversations with students of mine this year about the the racial or the religious politics of. Reporting these sorts of incidents, um, where you know almost always if a shooter or a bomber or somebody is Muslim, uh, they're called a terrorist. But if they're white, then there are questions of like, was he mentally unstable? What's what, what's what's going on there? Um, I've had those conversations a lot, so it's it's just cool to see the newsroom approaching that at the very beginning here and doing it in a way that I think is. Pretty responsible, um, actually.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it, it like feels like good and, and fair and, and like well handled news
0: reporting. And then we go into the old guys talking about seventies politics and <laughs> kind of started to take a nap a little bit. Um, <laughs> it just nothing. There's like nothing to that. It's just okay. Will yep. comparing the Tea Party to hippies was something that I felt really fishy to me. Um, like that. You know, what you've talked about at Sorkin is the sort of, like, platonic ideal of a centrist. That really spoke to me as an example of that. Um, I mean, th- this, sorry to cut you off, is also the scene where Will, for us at least, formally announces
1: his his political leaning. He's a Republican. He's a registered Republican. Yeah.
0: And he, like, he keeps affirming that almost every episode, which just feels like Sorkin's way of saying, look, I'm not, it's not. I'm not a filthy lib. Come on. <laughs> he's, he's Republican.
1: You can call yourself that all day, but you are neither. Yeah, um, yeah I, I just felt like that scene in particular, I was like, "What? Who, who is Will? Like, what does Will do? What is his life outside of the news that he is fed? Like, I just feel like I don't have a good picture of his actual honest beliefs. I know he believes in, like, honesty and facts and making the country um, and making it balanced more on the way that it was founded and all that stuff. Yeah. But also hates ignorant people. And all this stuff. I think he has a line about like, in this scene actually, where he says, "I'm a Republican, but not the kind that," uh, or like something about like, "No, I know that the Earth is round or something." Yeah. Um, yeah. He has lines like that, and you're just like, "What? What's your ethos? Like, what do you? What do you do? Or just even basic questions of like, who are you in your everyday life outside of work? Because we sure as hell get a lot of the kids on the show, um, getting like seeing what they do outside of work and what they worry about." yeah they date they have have sex they live together they go to bars they do karaoke they eat um they have cell phones (laughs) all this like like little just little pictures and the way that they dress and act with each other um but i don't don't, like know what will does i don't know what his life who
0: who he is i mean we get we get more of that in the next episode um so i think that's a conversation to add more detail to in a moment um we do get a weird piece of background info that Will graduated college at like 19, and he was a lawyer or something. Charlie yeah. Charlie brings that up. <laughs> it just, it kind of feels weirdly incidental. Um, it's just a way to set up Charlie to have the line of, America needs a fucking lawyer. <laughs> Which is awesome. You do a good Charlie, actually. <laughs> uh, I really like that. So the first 18 minutes of this episode, and I, hit a, I looked at a timestamp because... First 18 minutes, we're doing the news. It's a show about news. Sure, you can say it's a bunch of white men yelling at each other, but at least we're doing the news, and we're not doing the news. all this bullshit. And then 18 minutes in, there's a lady in the office. Mac goes up to talk to her. Who are you looking for? Oh, I'm looking for Will. Uh, we're going on a date. <laughs> oh, well, I, 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 he's old. Did you know he's old? He's, uh, uh,
1: really? Why? Why? <laughs>
0: Mac, stop, Mac, Uh, (laughs) stop. uh, I hated it, I I did, so, I don't like what they're doing to Mac, and here's what I realized is my problem. All right, bring it, tell it to the folks. Mac is being written like a sitcom character. Bada bing. In a show that's not that. It's
1: not a sitcom, and it's a very serious non-sitcom, like. Yeah. She is written like the awkward
0: roommate or the awkward ex-girlfriend who's like,
1: oh, what? Spill my drink and, and make awkward. Like,
0: she's well, being written like Rachel or something. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like, sure, God. I think Rachel's funny on Friends when her job is not to do the news good.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like, she's the executive producer of the news. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's silly. Eric Sorkin doesn't know how to write women. Sorry. Don't drink while podcasting, folks um he doesn't plot out there i don't think any of the main cast uh who are women are well are that well written at this point as cuz like leona is like technically like side character she's only in a couple episodes but she's she's, impor- also, she's obviously important she's also she's being great.
0: cast like that felt like a monologue that Aaron Sorkin would have written for a man who is that yes. character and she's <laughs> just being yes. she's being cast into um, the sort of traditional Sorkin male archetype, which is cool. Like that's that's good that that's happening. But he's not writing a female character there. Right, he's just writing a dude and then and
1: switching the gender. Yes. Yeah. Um, so with speaking of like relationship stuff, I mean, Max aw- awkward and bad. Will's bringing women to the office. I guess just to make Mackenzie jealous. Like just because he's that petty in that way.
0: Leazy. Like that is such a weird power play. To make women come to your office where your face is on the wall, I don't know exactly yeah, that's gross. Um, you haven't
1: seen it, but in the original Mobile Suit Gundam show, one of the like side villains is my favorite character. his name is Garmazabi, and he's this like purple haired wayfish lad who uh, is like friends with the main bad guy and he's like a young prince and every time they go to like visit his house, he just has a like wall spanning portrait of himself. Hmm. <laughs> in his room mm-hmm. and it's super good and he just brings people over and never brings up the portrait but they always look at it and they're like huh <laughs> that's you isn't it and and
0: that's will 100 percent. will is that is Garma. yeah
1: but it's just he's it's is it is it just because he's petty and
0: he wants her to feel bad well so at the end of the episode he claims when they're doing the election night recap Maggie comes up to him and she says, "I'm going to say something that's insubordinate and it is a fireable offense or something, which it's not. First of all, no, it's um, not. Yeah." And she says, "Hey, could you maybe stop bringing women to the office because it makes Mac sad?" Uh, and he says, "I didn't think that was insubordinate, and I don't, I don't care, and I didn't, I'm not doing it on purpose." And then he's like, "Oh, maybe I'm doing it on purpose," and then he stops. So I think he just didn't. He wasn't really thinking it through. Um, but he is he's very much racked and occupied by uh bad feelings about their relationship and how it and how it ended. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So I think that he, that is the reason, but he's not doing it on purpose, according to him.
1: Can we real briefly um get to talking about Maggie and Don and Jim? Just just cut yeah, right let's through just,
0: it. Let's just throw that in the garbage, huh?
1: So Maggie has anxiety. Hashtag relatable. Uh, she takes medicine for anxiety. They start noticing that she's kind of shaky and and stammering more than usual, more than the traditional Maggie Jordan like stereotype um, of being awkward. She's like really not having it during this whole episode. Uh, eventually we get this really hilariously unintentionally hilarious scene where uh, Jim asks Don, he's like, "What's going on with Maggie?" And then Don's just like, "Oh, she has exa- she has panic attacks. She can't breathe." So sometimes.
0: he's so blasé about it.
1: She thinks she's dying sometimes. Just leave her in a room. She'll be fine.
0: It's cool. I'm
1: done. Just leave. Just leave her alone. And like, on one hand, that is realistic because like, when you know, when you've like dated someone with anxiety for a long time, eventually you don't want to. You don't want to like keep like giving the full explanation of it to people. You're just like, oh, uh, it's a thing. Like, I'm. Please be sensitive about it. Right. But he like has no. He's just very. it, It feels very callous. I agree. Or just well, like, he yeah, care. he's just like, oh, this is a thing,
0: and it's partially callous um, because he Jim, doesn't like Jim
1: as a sort of counterpart to to Don's uh, no nonsense blaseness. Um, cares a lot, and he's like, oh, you know, or Don tells him, Oh, Maggie's on the terrace doing sad talk and sad breathing exercises. Jim goes outside, uh, Maggie is talking to her roommate Lisa, um, who we meet in the next episode, and uh, she does the smart thing of putting her on the phone and leaving it on, which i liked that's just like a smart safe thing to do if you're talking to someone trying to vent and then like someone else comes up to you yeah because you're in a sensitive position and you don't want to feel alone um so like there are tiny aspects of the way that they write maggie's anxiety that are good like that Mm -hmm. or like i don't have my xanax because you keep bringing guys to the apartment and they keep stealing my pills and that's fucked up please stop doing that
0: that's intense
1: it's really intense um and she doesn't have her medication and she's worried about that and also like the news is going badly and so she's just spiraling um jim sits her down and basically has this like incredibly um would you say uh, to me it felt almost like borderline erotic yeah <laughs> the way I that think he's that's like the idea okay the way that he's like um Oh, like I, I was in the military, and like the, you're you're clearly having symptoms of PTSD, and like you need to do this type of breath. Let me check your pulse, and puts his finger on her neck, which is not how you check someone's pulse. Right. Don't check. You check my girlfriend. You check the, the bottom thing. of their wrist. Yep. Or the top of their wrist. However that works. Um, that was just so he could kind of put his hand close to her face, I guess. Yeah, um, he's.
0: I mean, it's it's gross. He's not there to help her. I mean, he kind of is sure. But he's there to touch her and to s- demonstrate that he's a capable man, whatever. Um, and he's just instructing her and saying, don't move, sit back down, uh, don't leave yet, whatever. I don't know. It, it, yeah, it's just yucky. And it's just it's a way super of showing gross. that Jim is like a cool guy and he's going to save us.
1: And he's a, he's a hot
0: military friend
1: and we should date. You should date Jim. Mm-hmm. And the problem isn't that it's not a, the realistic thing of like during it when she kind of is like reluctant to, to accept his help. You're like, all right, Maggie, this is like what a thing a, a woman would actually do. And then just because again, Aaron Sorkin doesn't know how to write this whole this whole entire love triangle. Jim leaves. He's like, all right, the new the thing is over. Go breathe and relax, and you're gonna be fine. Maggie picks up the phone and she goes, Hey, Lisa, that's that's the guy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Come on.
1: I like I like I was like grinding my teeth during that seeing that part. I'm like nah, this the problem with this is that she's into it. She ate
0: it all up.
1: She's going to she's going to It just likes-
0: Jim. It just between that and what happens next episode, it makes it very difficult to understand to what extent Maggie is aware of the fact that Jim likes her and she likes Jim. Because yeah, shouldn't that, you just, as an adult, know that at this point? That exchange, where she's like, that's the guy, that's him, seems to me to mean that she's been talking about, I like this guy, I don't know, I'm with Don, but I like this other guy. But then in the next episode, she acts in a way that totally doesn't seem to line up with the fact that she's aware of that. So it's it's confusing. And meanwhile, through all this, Don is being cagey and doesn't, doesn't
1: know how he wants to handle any of this.
0: Don's perfect. He's doing
1: great. No <laughs> Don is the villain. Uh Don and Le- Don and Leona are gonna kinda do a play together. Uh no, he basically gets stopped by Elliot, who after one of the news presentations is like he or he, he talks to Elliot and he's like, Elliot, you're messing up the news, you're not saying anything, you gotta talk when Will Will tries to talk to you. And then he it's it's actually a cool scene where he's like, Get back here. Get back here. Like come talk to me. And then Don straight up acknowledges like you're talking to me like a I'm a child. I'm not no no what and he says like either um because Elliot and Don work together at 10 p.m. that's their yeah. relationship in case it wasn't obvious. Uh he's like either break up with her and get over it, get back together with her and get over it or you're fired. Pick one. And then Don's yeah, like, I like oh, right. Oh, I guess I won't be shitty and I'll just date Maggie and that'll be how it works.
0: And make Jim more sad. Really funny <sighs> comedy moment with Elliot also. Um where Mac said something like, try to make him say th- anything different than what he's been saying. And then Will throws to him and is like, what do you think of all this, Elliot? And then Elliot's like, well, Will, you know, this is American democracy in action, and it's really a sight to behold. <laughs> <laughs> he just <laughs> keeps saying that over and over again. I, th- I thought yeah. that was really funny. Elliot's fun, even
1: with his like kind of weird, Amer- like, very American accent. Yeah. Come back. Come
0: back. And then he makes um, he made a gypsy reference, which uh, my girlfriend was really into.
1: Yeah, I like that. I ended up looking up clips of gypsy because of that that moment. Yeah. Um, there was something in that scene also. I'm just going down. I'm, I've run we've run out of plot to talk about. The episode goes election night happens, yay! And then at the end, they all go to a bar, and Will's like, "It's me and all the boys, except also Sloan Sabbath's here." Yeah, because, he's just so dismissive and rude to Sloan Sabbath. It's extremely, insane. and she has nothing to say about it. Uh and then they have this like very, very broy, like, we did a good g- God bless America. Cheers. Doing Clink. the good news. News. And then Charlie's like, this is a fun bar. Also, Will, you're fine. Nobody's mad at you up on upstairs.
0: There's no problems. Oh, I got Meanwhile, a message he's... from from Leona saying she wants to talk to me tomorrow. Da, da, da. About definitely not you.
1: <laughs> definitely nothing, no big deal. Yeah. Um Oh, is that supposed to have taken place before
0: the meeting yep oh i got it that's pretty that's pretty good right yeah that's That's, good that's a nice note to end the episode on so he doesn't know at that point that no he doesn't he doesn't know. oh that's that's actually kind of that's that's good good. i I thought he was
1: just covering it up that's very good yeah um do you have any stray notes because i actually do this time but i want to hear yours first
0: yeah i had um i had three I, I liked it in the beginning when Will's giving his speech, and it's a montage of what everybody else is doing, uh, and it's kind of a montage of, like, people helping to write the speech, and we cut to Neil, for some reason, who's, like, in the throes of passion. Uh oh, he, with <laughs> his cool girlfriend? Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, they're really... What they're doing with Neil is mind-boggling. Um, and racist. Yeah, and and racist we'll talk about that a lot more in the next episode i think yes um the second thing do one of yours because i gotta remind myself what my other two were
1: oh one of mine was just how much they really like talking about the system working and like things being working as intended so when they're talking about um the times square bomber like getting checked at the airport and then being put on no fly list and then they have time to update the no fly list and then jim just like smiles basically at the camera and goes that's the system working (laughs) (laughs) i hate i hate it when and like shows don't do this a lot so i'm not going to say like i hate it when they always do this but um assuming complacency and assuming things are like fine because like i don't know i consider myself a very a, a pretty liberal person and like i don't I think that there's a lot of things that can be fixed, but like to ever just to like joke about like ah, everything, there's, this thing's good though. This is like a good, the government's doing a good thing in this way, right?
0: Right. Um, it, it sometimes like makes me, it rubs me the wrong way, but that's yeah. just my opinion. Two lines that I really liked. One was um, from Charlie when he's in the meeting and he says, uh, what does he say? He says, I've been sitting here for the last two and a half hours and I don't know why. It's like being in the cast of a Fellini film. That was that was nice. Oh, was I didn't funny. even catch that one. Yeah. Um, another line that I thought was good was um, Jim is working at the at the bar and Neil is questioning him on why he told Maggie to stay with Don, and then Neil's like, "What are you working on there?" Yep. And Jim yep, says, this is "One of mine." A, a story about people voting against their interests.
1: <laughs> no, he. I watched that part twice. That was he says,
0: cute. "I'm." He says, "I'm
1: ninety nine point nine percent sure what you're working on, but tell me what it is." And he's like, "We're going to the bar." <laughs> And then Neil just like like, smiles. (laughs) Um, the other other one that I have in here. Oh, just in the same scene. The way that they cut to the scene that you just talked about is it's a hard cut to Jim on his laptop, just going. I just couldn't be less interested in WikiLeaks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man! It's not foreshadowing. It's not anything. It's a nothing line.
0: Because they all they do with WikiLeaks is they ascribe it to Neil as like a nerdy thing that he cares yes. about, because um, he's like the internet hip. He writes the blog. He knows how emails work. He likes WikiLeaks. Text,
1: he likes <laughs> text to speech blogs. Blogs. Yeah. Um, so. The
0: last
1: the last line that got a big reaction out of me was just when uh, Will was talking to uh, those same. I think it was the same. Um, no, it was like some guy, some like Republican guy, and talking about how like venereal diseases are more common amongst heterosexual folk and than than they are homosexual people at this point in time, and then talking about like how in World War One, like what do you think the prevalence of like uh of VDs was? The guy's like probably like zero because those men were good and great and I love them and they're all my dads, Mm -hmm. um, and then it was like what, and then they keep telling like him like eighteen thousand, eighteen thousand, and then he's like, you know, um. Uh, eighteen thousand of them, uh, actually came back or were sent home because of having the contracted VDs. Uh, what do you think about that number? And then the guy's like, "Oh, that that seems fake. Where did you pull that out of your?" And then Will's like, "I'm sorry, the number was actually eighteen thousand every day."
0: That was that just was cool. Yeah, yeah, I love. I I hate that I love it because it's just him
1: owning Republicans. <laughs> it's just that. Yeah,
0: I mean it. It's really, they really fetishize Will having like snappy comebacks and stuff totally that's that's sorkin you did it you nailed it yeah they also there's this weird weird like swan song for moderate republicans in this episode where they like bring on the one guy who lost his race or something and they're like you were a great public servant and then on election night it's like charlie this guy was your friend and he lost and he's like yeah he was a great public servant (laughs) (laughs) They they just talk about i don't know consider it red like remember when conservatives were cool Let's have more of those guys. Sigh. More of the old oh, you- Washington insiders who've been there for, you know, 40 years or whatever.
1: You just reminded me of another bad scene just to close it out um, when they're actually around the red desk and it's the four of the people talking about the news and they get somebody on uh, on like a video call who just won. And he's got like a big crowd of people behind him and he's like answering questions and Sloan beforehand is asking Will, like, I don't think this guy knows what the debt ceiling is or what it means to raise it. And they're like, what does it mean about you not raising the debt ceiling? And he's like, what? Can't hear you. And then you just keep getting like other people being quiet and Sloan being like, do you know what the word debt, the two words debt ceiling mean? Do you know why this is a problem? And he's like, Uh, I, I, I just got so many fans. I, I, I'll talk to you later. See you guys. And she's like, oh, that's Sloan Sabbath. That's like her best moment. <laughs> she has so little to do with the show. Oh, yeah.
0: Uh, But yeah, that's all I have for that. All right. Well, this time around, the episode covered a bunch of days, so I would imagine we're not going to do a this day in the news thing, but we'll do that for the second episode. Does that sound good? Yeah. Sounds very good. All right. Well, then, for now, let's toss it to the news bag, and then we'll be back with episode four of The Newsroom.
1: Hello, listeners, and welcome to The Newsbag. It's the weirdly titled feedback, commentary, questions and answers segment of the podcast, The Chats Room, where I, Alan, read all the feedback that we received in the last week. This week, we received two emails. The first one is from our buddy Dan, a.k.a. Blueblaze Spear, from back in the Escape Chats days, who's back on board with The Chats Room. And he says, The Newsroom has the distinction of being the first show you guys are covering that I haven't already seen in its entirety. I've heard it compared to Sports Night, which was a show that I tried out back when it came out because it included actress Serena Lord, formerly of a show that I had liked back in the day, Sliders. I gave up pretty quickly on Sports Night because it seemed overly smug and a bit too pleased with itself, something that I would later call six feet under syndrome. I gave the newsroom a shot a few years ago by watching the first episode, but didn't continue watching past the first episode because it felt overly smug and a bit too pleased with itself. Sports Night-like indeed. Maybe I'll sit down and watch this one along with you guys so that I can fully appreciate your commentary if I can take it. BBS. That's, oh, Dan, here's the thing. You are not the first person to come on, uh, come back to us after the other shows we've, well, we've watched and been like, wow, th- this is the first bad show you guys have done. And to that, I will say, first of all, Farscape has bad episodes. So let's not treat it like it's a perfect show. And also, um, yeah, that's the point. That's the fun. And it's great, and we're suffering for you. Um, the newsroom is a really interesting show, regardless of how stupid and, and like offensively bad it can be sometimes. Um, but we enjoy discussing it, and I think that you can get a lot of uh, worth out of the chat room, even if you don't watch the episodes with us. So if you're not just not feeling the show, uh, i it, you can just go ahead and listen to our podcast. It's totally fine. We just kind of goof, and we, I like make a point to summarize the episodes in case people don't watch them. Um, at the beginning of each discussion, so it's not a problem who cares live your best life Speaking of living your best life our, our buddy Dax is living his best life and sending us uh, his email about the 112th Congress Greetings Alan and Magellan boy. This show is on a downward slope. Yes, it is Dax It's kind of hard to imagine that we're only on the third and fourth episodes But these two were like a well-fed dream You know how if you eat a big meal right before going to sleep you get more detailed dreams Try to remember what you dreamt about five hours later. That's how I feel about this week's episodes. There was certainly a lot of drama, but what happened? Was there a plot? Other than Sorkin blatantly ripping off his own show with the Will slash Wade stuff being exes and dating and whatever, being exactly like Casey, Donna, and Gordon from Sports Night? Yeah. Here's the notes I scribbled down. Let's see if we can make sense of any of them. Let's do this together. Neil is in bed, making out with a major hottie, and he literally crawls out from under her to answer the phone. That would never happen. It's the news, Dax. Charlie, what is this meeting about? Funny, Dax says. I find myself wondering the same thing about this show. And did he ever find out? He did not. You know, I had a couple of things written down here about how the women are being written terribly, but with all the goings-on these days in Hollywood about women being treated badly and everything, me being a male, nothing I say will ever come out right. But I cannot think of a single adult, male or female, that I have ever met that acts as immature as the women written by Aaron Sorkin. This is the part of the letter where you'd expect a disclaimer like, at least the men are written good, it well, but I can't say that. They're just not as outlandish about their temper tantrums. Um, I just think that Sorkin doesn't know how to write a girl that talks like a actual real human being. Um, And this is persistent through the rest of the newsroom. He doesn't get better at it. There are very, very few moments of good when it comes to the way he writes women. And that's all there is to it. It's, it's not even... Like you mentioned, the things going on in the world today. I think it's more just, you know, those things are coming out. Like people are coming out of the woodwork, but they've always been happening. Like, uh, I'm sure even in the era of the newsroom and before then, the era of sports night in the era of everything, we've had examples of men being terrible to women and writing them terribly and treating them terribly. And in a way, I think the way, like, the, the specific ways that characters like Maggie and Mackenzie are treated within the workplace which is like the men are explaining things to them and talking down to them is unfortunately very accurate um as somebody who's worked with a lot of women before that's a pretty common thing uh it's so in a way he's reflecting real life but also uh in real life women have independence and agency and that's a thing anyways will don't ever take a person's gun without asking for us that's very rude (laughs) oh dax I love your priorities what I vaguely recall about the tea party is that every news story I read online about it eight years ago made them sound like a joke like Will was doing and I don't know if they even exist anymore I think they do Dax good grief these people whine a lot a drink to the face I see this a lot on TV and one of these days I hope to see it happen in real life uh Chekhov's Rod Stewart song and Tess is funny you're right Tess is becoming my favorite character on the show I love Tess okay I'm done I need to go see something good to balance my brain now I hear they're bringing Tommy V. So's the Room back to theaters smiley face thank you Dax good golly I love it when like this is really the type of show that just like it fall. It just kind of washes over you for better or for worse and that's why you like forget so much of what happened and that's why I've had to like take much more rigorous notes than ever about what's happening and not just lines that blow my mind in this show because we would have like no podcast if we just based everything on our vague memories of having watched the episodes but um yeah I, again i think that there's things to enjoy and to discuss about the way it treats uh, or it handles its stories and its media and what it has to say about the news and stuff it, it's all fun to talk about so let's go back to Alan and john as they continue to have fun talking about the uh, often maligned arguably um like one of the silliest episodes of the whole show it's season one episode four i'll try to fix you Welcome back to the Chats Room. For this half of the episode, we watched Season 1, Episode 4, I'll Try to Fix You, which was written by Aaron Sorkin, directed by Alan Powell, and it aired July 15th, 2012. And it took place uh, at some point in 2011 that I can't remember. When did this episode take place? On New Year's Eve, going into New Year's Day. But then when was the... Oh, January 8th, 2011 is the end of the episode. Right. Because that's the, the, like, scene... But yeah, the Actually, rest of it is, yeah. yes, December 31st, 2010. Um, in this episode, on New Year's Eve 2010, Mac and Will have a relationship drama. Don tries to set up Jim with Maggie's roommate, Lisa. Will gets into a heated argument with Nina Howard, a gossip writer for TMI. This spirals into some more drama with a loaded gun, several bad dates, lots of drinks thrown at Will, and Neil's Bigfoot story getting shut down repeatedly. And finally, the monotony is broken by the news that Arizona politician Gabrielle Giffords was shot at a rally in Tucson. As Coldplay's "Fix You" plays over people doing the news, Team News Night gets to go home happy, knowing that they were the ones smart and good enough to not pronounce this woman dead. John, what did you think of "I'll Try to Fix You"? It's a really, it's a,
0: it's a, it's a lot of an episode. It's quite the episode to pair with the previous one because the 112th Congress is, like I said. 18 minutes of a show about the news, and then it takes a turn and does all the relationship bullshit that we don't like. Um, Whereas this episode is pretty much 40 minutes of the relationship bullshit we don't like, and then takes a hard turn into doing the news at the end. And I don't like either of those (laughs) structures. Nope. So it really is challenging me to figure out exactly what it is I think I want from this show. And what I'm realizing is that what i actually want is for this Series show for to not give me what i want. Oh, oh. yeah, or that. <laughs> um this solid this show solidly is a guilty pleasure show. Yeah, there, you know, there there is not a world in which i could see myself genuinely liking every single part of this show, but i genuinely like enough of it and i am also genuinely intrigued by when it's bad. That makes me want to keep watching it. so that's how I felt about this one that uh, it was a bad episode, but I was hooked the entire time by the way in which it was bad
1: yeah that that overall is why I wanted us to do this podcast is because especially as it goes on and this like relationship stuff gets more, I guess more complicated, I find myself
0: <laughs> uh,
1: honestly. Ra- enraptured by the show and how weirdly bad it can be, just like bad in unique and special ways every time. Yeah, I'm like, this is it, this is what the show is. It's dumb, it's boring sometimes, it's corny, it's terribly written, whatever. But just 40 minutes, most of it takes place on one night on New Year's, and then there's a bunch of awkward dating stuff. And we, like I said last half, of that you know, I wish we knew more about Will. We we find out that Will's just kind of a dork and like doesn't know how to talk to girls and doesn't know how to handle controversy. Um and just has like problems with, with dating. <laughs> like this is not the will that I wanted to learn about. The will that I wanted to learn about just to kinda to talk about a scene was when he wakes up at seven in the morning on a Saturday to a call from Charlie and then he talks to him on speakerphone in his tiny apartment in New York City. Mm-hmm. Or it's not no, it's not tiny. No, He's got it's a, not tiny. He's got no. a very nice place. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. sounds like <laughs> 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 like crying laughing i like your place i think you have a nice place yeah it's nice um <laughs> we're here right now wow um what else happened in this episode i mean it's just yeah it's like you said the front loading it with all the relationship stuff just leads to me not caring for the majority of the episode and then like do- literally dozing off about 30 minutes in and then mm-hmm gabrielle giffords happens and you're like whoa what and then the episode's like immediately over right they, they go through all the stuff that i wanted so quickly um from it's a red news item to yay high fives we did it she's not dead we did it
0: <laughs> right they kind of they kind of do like the first episode of the newsroom in five minutes at yes. just the very end of, of this one
1: where um where do you want to start we can talk about the new year's eve stuff um we meet i mean we get to meet Pete a lot some new characters. So can, we, can, we just,
0: can we just talk about Maggie, Jim and Don so that we don't have to talk about it anymore? <laughs> just talk about it real quick. Let's have our Maggie here. Jim and Don moment, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Jim and Maggie like each other and stuff, and uh, it's New Year's Eve and Jim's working. Jim's working. And,
1: uh, Maggie is in a nice red dress. Where did you get that dress? Don, I got it from Lisa. I can't. I, you
0: never take it off, except when you take it off.
1: Don, what?
0: Why'd you say that, Don? <laughs> Don's doing great. Everything Don does is good.
1: <laughs> Stop defending <laughs> Don. I can't allow it. <laughs> I cannot believe you're the Don defender. The Don defender has long Don, and that's also your handle from now on. Is You know what? Don you defender. know what I like about Don
0: in What's a that? show where everything in the show where we're only allowed to feel about Will two ways. Either we're supposed to be in awe of him or we're supposed to feel like sorry for him in kind of a nice way. And Jim, we're only supposed to like him in that show where men are put on pedestals and shown as like perfect paragons of news. Don is just kind of a shitty guy in like a normal way. And I really like that in a believable, realistic way too. Yeah. I guess. Okay. I'll give you that.
1: Um, him just being awkward with his partner is also relatable, though he's just like uh d- d- dating you <laughs> know Jim should d- date your roommate uh, like Don is not always like schlubby, but just like there are moments in this New year's party scene where I'm like, don, <laughs>
0: yeah, so, so he tries to set Jim up with Lisa, who's Maggie's roommate um Maggie is just weird about it, um in a way that's so obvious <laughs> <sighs> I don't know. Again, this is, I was talking about this earlier in in our episode. Um, it's unclear how aware Maggie is of the fact that she's already in love with Jim. Right. That's the uh, guy. Because yeah, because in the last episode it's like that's the guy, but in this episode it's like Lisa with Jim. I like Lisa. I think Lisa. That's a good. She
1: that actress is good. She's normal. Yeah, it's just a normal person. She's she's. A character the show needs a lot which is a reminder that there's like re- regular people who live regular lives not attached to the
0: news whatsoever Like she just works it she just works in makeup she works in fashion makeup uh, makeup and fashion i here's what i will say What's um that? so i was watching this with my girlfriend and she de- so desperately wanted the show to pass the bechdel test and Sorry. then it it um it does the opposite of that which is it puts two women into a scene together where the only thing they talk about is how worried they are that men will think they're stupid <laughs> <laughs> that literally is the, the opposite of
1: we finally get two women in a of scene and both like, the test. I, I, I don't i'm not dumb i'm not no you're not dumb no come I'm on i'm so you're worried
0: like you. i'm so worried because i don't know anything about greece or whatever <laughs>
1: the, like hey what do you know about the greece financial crisis and she's like well it's a crisis and it's in greece and it's about money <laughs>
0: <And you're> like, <laughs> uh, Aaron, erin <Aaron."
1: laughs> i'm gonna start calling him Aaron from now on yeah that's good that's yeah, good. just to kind of break him down. That'll take that guy down a peg. <laughs> Rich, successful American director <laughs> and writer, Aaron Sorkin.
0: Anyway, so we get all this hullabaloo about um, how Jim is set up with Lisa. And at first, Maggie thinks that it didn't work out. But then it turns out that they're going on extra dates. And that she's in bed with Don. And Don's like, they're together right now. Let's call them. I don't have my shirt on because I'm Don. Um And then Maggie finds out that Jim lied and he slept with her roommate and it culminates in this just, just the worst, worst written moment for Maggie so far, I think, um, where Neil is talking Uh. to everybody about Bigfoot and then he's like, uh... I don't even remember the exchange. But she starts making like passive-aggressive comments about like, oh, it's like, you know, Jim like lies to you. But in fact, it's with your roommate. Not and even again, passive-aggressive, just aggressive in front of
1: everyone. The most right. unprofessional.
0: Again, she's being written like Rachel from Friends. Uh, that is a line that w- would be followed by a laugh track in a sitcom. But in this show, we're trying to do the news here. And... Real people don't talk in that way. Um, so then they, of course, go where everybody has to go with their big arguments, which is the middle of the newsroom, to <laughs> argue with each other. Um, Jim kind of apologizes, and then we get the news alert, and then everything's fine, and everybody likes each other again. And uh, it's, it's silly. And then yeah. is this then the end of the episode? Right, is like Jim's gonna go talk to her or something, or is and that the And then her kidding? and Don are like canoodling on the stairs. Yeah, she's she's sitting on the stairs in a way that makes no sense. Um, yep. it looks like she's in a magazine for stairs. Uh, <laughs> and then Jim's like walking up to her, and Neil's like, "Go on, man, you can do it." And Don walks down the stairs, and they just start tonguing each other. And like, and like, she puts like her head in his shoulder,
1: and they like cuddle, and
0: it's like—it's ludicrous is... because it's this is your job. <laughs> you're at work, and you're they're work at work here. on a Saturday. Go home. It's nuts.
1: It's, it's way too intimate nuts. for for public, which is everything about about Don and Maggie. Is like, don't air this, and and Jim is like, don't air this in front of people. Stop. You're embarrassing yourselves.
0: Yeah. So that like, whole that whole plot was just I I just couldn't.
1: I, my just my last thing other than I like Lisa is well two things briefly one um the older I get which means the closer I get to the ages of these characters the more it bothers me the way they act because I know now for a fact that nobody talks and acts like this mm-hmm. the other thing why is Maggie mad that Jim slept Lisa slept Lisa because she's in love with Jim so but but she's mad at like she tells him I'm mad at you about this like what does he not pick up on that I don't.
0: No, he gets it. It, it's, it. This is what's so confusing, is that she totally knew that she likes him in the previous episode, and now she's convincing herself that she doesn't. Um, and she says that she's mad because he lied. And then Jim comes back with, well, who set all this up? Don set it up. He was the one who set me up with her, or whatever, whatever. You should ask Don what's going on. So it sets up this dynamic of like Jim and Don both know that they're competing over Maggie, but Maggie doesn't know. Which changes the the way that it was configured in the last episode. So really, there's no there's no consistency to this triangle. <laughs> my eyes, <laughs> that's a fun sentence you just said. Um, my eyes are gonna roll into the back of my head. Can we please let's pivot? Yes, 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 yes. Please, <laughs> please, please. But, but Alan, I have a question for you. Where to pivot in this episode? Yeah. <laughs> where do we go? We're, that's skid- better we're than skidding this?
1: on an icy road into six trees. Which one do we choose to crash into? Uh, uh, let's crash into let's crash into will mcavoy our boy yeah sure let's do it will mcavoy uh will mcavoy goes on some macadates on this episode eats some macadamias um tries <laughs> tries to flirt on new year's eve again spends part of it doing work has Mackenzie's new boyfriend wade who there's nobody in real life named wade i'm sorry if your name is wade <laughs> it's not a real name um, i like that guy he's fine he's like nice the thing it's good that he's not I, a I, shitty boyfriend.
0: i love the tv archetype of like the new boyfriend your your lover's new boyfriend who's just very nice yeah and he there you can't hate him
1: you try to like will is like oh he's he's like pitching me something nasty or bad and it's like no he's just he's doing his job he respects you he's not a bad person it's fine it's wade whatever um although don't is wade related to the reveal at the end of the episode or no that's not related at all no which which reveal the reveal that the reason um, Nina basically, like, all of that stuff is, like, orchestrated by Leona. To... He's not related to that, no. Okay, I, okay, gotcha, gotcha. No. I thought I heard Charlie at someone say, like, Wade. Oh, he was you sa- remember saying, wait? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he said, wait. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> um, so, so, basically, yeah, they're dealing with that. Um, Wade's bad. He's like, oh, I got to get out of here and, 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 like, do something and flirt. And Sloan is like, talk to people talk to humans and a thing i actually like about will and sloane's relationship is that they are the two characters who are like aliens coming to earth that don't know how to interact with other humans yeah and Sloan admits it she's like i i don't i'm the economics person i don't know how to talk to you, you, you i've heard of she's still something like i've heard of people talking to other people i don't know how to do it you should try and do it um he walks up to this nice blonde lady
0: with nice legs which he points out repeatedly uh, I said yuck in this episode verbally more times than in any other experience in my life. The best thing is that Nina's a recurring character. That's the best part. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's not even that Nina's bad. It's just the fact that Nina,
1: I, what is I, done I mean,
0: around Nina is not great. But I thought that she was a fine character.
1: Yeah, the thing is that Nina is initially painted as like Will's actual counterpart, because Mac is like failing in every aspect of like challenging Will's brain in, in his attitude. Like, sometimes she gets him to, like, do better work and improve him and fix him. <sighs> but Nina is portrayed as, like, no, she's, like, the the female will. Like, she knows how to, like, defend her job and the integrity of her job back at him. Right. Is that not have, who she is? Well, kind of. It just ends up being that she gets mad at him and, and says that he's an idiot. But we, the viewer, are not left thinking, like, who's right or wrong in that situation. Sure. Uh, we're not, that's not, like, super clear. He basically says that, hey, you running a tabloid is bad. People don't need to know about the Real Housewives in New Jersey having secret illegitimate children. And she's like, but it's interesting. And people like it. And it makes people happy. And sometimes that's fine. And he's like, no, it's it's, it's super stupid. I hate this. The news is better. Um, she throws a drink in his face. This is drink number one. You could do a drinking game every time he gets a drink thrown in his face in this episode. I believe it's actually twice. <laughs> oh no well, and no. then everybody
0: throws water at him
1: true yeah actually you're right the joke ones make it way more he gets a drink thrown in his face new year's yay we did it new year's they do comment on the fact that the idea of like new year's is such it's a non-event mm-hmm. um even when you're in new york city it's like yeah the ball is gonna drop and then what and then we're gonna get a little older uh, which we just had a new year so i i was also thinking about that kind of stuff um it's an excuse for people to gather and to think about like the stuff you think about during New Year the New Year
0: is is important but yeah but the evening itself is not necessarily all that exciting. Right. To return to Sloan Sabbath for a moment before we totally leave her in the dust dust and uh talk more about Will. This is the episode where we see more and hear more of Sloan Sabbath than we have so far. Um and I know nothing about her. Still <laughs> still, she's meaningless to me. Again, I was watching these with my girlfriend, and she had a pretty choice quote towards the end of the episode where she essentially said of Sloane Sabbath, who is she? I'm so fucking mad. (laughs) 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 Because what she does just doesn't make sense, and Will just kind of treats her like shit, and it's funny, I guess? That's the idea? Yeah,
1: well... (laughs) there's a lot more show and they don't they didn't know what to do with sloan yet they like for some reason really 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 want to focus on jim and maggie and don and will and mackenzie mackenzie um and i guess charlie and those are the characters of the show so like neil she's kind of relegated to like people talking at her right now um but she gets more later the way that neil does also okay it's just right now it's like you, you you're she's right your your girlfriend is right to not know what the hell is going on with sloan's Abbott because there's nothing there okay she is
0: attractive because she's, she's part of the plot that develops for Will, where he goes on these dates. Basically, he gets the drink thrown at him by Nina on New Year's Eve because he's talking about how bad gossip magazines are. And then he gets put in a gossip magazine for being a jerk. Uh, so Charlie says, the best thing you can do in this situation is go try and date more women. <laughs> um, Thanks, Charlie. Which maybe isn't the best advice from Charlie Skinner there, but it's something. Chuck Skinner. So Will goes on a series of, of comically doomed dates. The first is with a friend of Sloan Sabbath who turns out to have a gun. Played related. by Katherine
1: Hahn really well.
0: Yeah. I like that. I like more obscure comedians in, in my newsroom. Right. Um, related to Will's sort of takedown of Obama's stance on guns, uh, which was kind of an interesting story for them to lend some time to
1: yeah because the the news part of this episode before the ending is hey it's the new year and we missed a lot of stories we didn't have time to cover them and so one of the ones that kind of catches um the interest of the group is the way that there are a lot of uh republicans claiming that like obama was incredibly light uh or not light on gun control but like wants to like extremely harsh on gun control and wants to take everybody's guns away and then the news night is like actually he He's, like, very much doesn't care, and if anything has, like, repealed more gun laws than, than the Bush administration did. Period.
0: Worst generation ever. <laughs> Again, it that's an interesting choice to examine in the context of this show coming out in 2012, when this was—the time that this episode was released was the primary season going into uh, more of now-it's-Obama-Romney— so it, it that's interesting that that was the choice that Sorkin and his team made to focus on that because it it's a direct commentary uh, on what's going on and a direct attempt to inform the electorate of the 2012 election. You could start to think about this show as trying to accomplish the mission that the show within the show is trying to accomplish of educating the people of the United States. Um, to what end he's doing that? Good question. I don't know. But, it's, yeah. The thing that bums me out, sorry, is
1: gun control is still a very big deal on the yep. ballot right now in America. A very big deal. And has not changed enough to to really show a shifting in the times yeah. <laughs> since this episode. But 2012 was in particular a really big year for um, like tragic <laughs> acts of terrorism involving guns. Between Sandy Hook in December... And uh, the Aurora shooting in the movie theater uh, in July of that of that same year. Right, yeah. This was on the mind. That's like probably right around the time this episode came out. Extremely on the minds of people. Um, and so like him getting to use that to, to then pivot to what the episode ends up being about is like... Again, that that's kind of cool. That's kind of like, oh, you're, you're talking about what's important in 2012. And sometimes that's still important in 2018. So, great job.
0: Yeah, well, and it is this... This kind of timely criticism of what if Obama had done something differently, maybe we wouldn't have had these events. It seems to be the kind of veiled criticism that's going on there. Chris, because, yeah, their point is, and I like that this is, again, the
1: thing they're trying to do with Newsnight is, like, have a point. Um, If these these Republicans and these, like, pundits or whatever, between Glenn Beck and and, uh, the other guy whose name I never remember, uh, all of them are yelling about this stuff because Rush Limbaugh, um, because it gets viewers, it gets ears, it sl- it lowers approval. They say like up increases uh, ratings, lowers presidential approval rating, etc., etc. It's not because like it's not necessarily their truth. They know it's not true. It's stupid. Yeah, <laughs> there's objective facts that no Obama was not that arch on gun control, for better or for worse. And so yeah, I I that was kind of the stuff that I lashed onto with this episode. I was like, oh, this is yeah. I'm, I, I was already thinking about this stuff. Great great
0: job. I guess part of the point is also to try to make this show look like it's a bunch of straight shooters after a whole episode where they were trying to take down the Tea Party to then say, ah, but we can criticize Obama too.
1: Right? See? Look, yeah. we're conservative. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Republican. Interesting.
0: Um, yeah, so Will goes on this date with Sloan Sabbath's friend. She has a gun. There's a weird moment where they kind of debate why she has a gun and Will does like an army... Uh, disarmament of her Yeah, that was he, he like knows how to unload the gun really quickly and he knows how to knock it out of her hand and take it really quickly and or naturally why, she's like is why? it weird
1: that this turns me on he's like yeah. yes y- yuck 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 barf barf barf
0: not saying it's gross if that's your thing just saying that, that it's gross that that is uh, what the, the character said and that is the way that we chose to take that scene yes it's unfortunate here's what i realized about the show half of the female characters are new girlfriends <laughs> oh you're right yep uh neil introduces us to his new girlfriend at the beginning here too. hayley yep she's i've seen her in something yeah you have what i don't know but i also recognize her face parks and rec is lucy that doesn't feel right
1: oh she was what's his face's girlfriend because his character Oh, maybe that's it. I feel like I've seen her in other things, though. You think Girls has Adam Driver's girlfriend? Wow, she exclusively plays the new girlfriend. The
0: friend. Girlfriends, yeah.
1: Holy crap. That's funny.
0: Yeah, maybe it was... Maybe it was Parks and Rec that I saw her. That could be right. Stuff. Anyway, so that's his first date. It uh, doesn't go well. He doesn't want to call her again. Sloan says, hey, you should... She's crazy. I'm just giving a little Chekhov's gun to the story here. Will says, no, that's not how narratives work. This isn't going to come back to haunt me. (laughs) And then it does later. Uh, He goes on another date with a woman who likes gossip. And, ugh, yuck, how disgusting. I'm on a mission to civilize. Thank God you found me. It's a little nice that women are throwing drinks in his face. There's Do you think some... Aaron
1: Sorkin's ever had a drink thrown in his face?
0: I had that thought because I I don't know a single person in my life who that has happened to. So I don't know if that is a lived experience of his or if that's just a trope that he's drawing from that's that's rote and ridiculous.
1: I think it's a trope because... So, okay, let's break it down just a teensy bit. Because this happens enough in this episode that I was thinking about it. Um, the other person, pa- the guy pays for the drinks in these types of situations because that's how um heterosexual dating relationships work is the guy pays for stuff so he paid for the drink she can throw it i don't care this is ten dollars on his his dime he's an asshole the problem is that in 2018 um so many men have been revealed to be disgusting people that like if you throw like you like do something like an act of you could call it like an assault on a guy like that you're like your life is in trouble like that guy can now find you like the guy i went on a date with i threw a drink in his face i didn't just like politely leave and now he wants to kill me you know what i'm saying like there's more of like a fear that like you don't want to like smack the guy publicly because he could like come at you. That's like that's like the fear. It's not necessarily right. more than saying was.
0: Specifically because Will is a media personality who has some clout, or you think or are you no, saying that's just true because of he's a guy? Men? No, I don't think it's true of all men. I think it's just true
1: of the way that these relationships, these like dates work, is that people are more and more worried about like creepy guys or like scary guys like hurting them so they don't want to do something
0: untowards like that i see like you're saying that the culture of like i don't want to rock the boat is so pervasive that this sort of public display of disgust yes exactly happen that's interesting i could buy that i don't know i think it's just kind of like comical like i don't think anybody would feel cool throwing a drink in somebody's face it just seems silly i don't know yeah but anyway, not the most realistic, perhaps, but certainly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that's what we're getting at. It's not realistic. Um, so that, that comes to haunt him because somebody in the restaurant saw that happen and he shows up in the gossip magazine again. And then that causes Sloane's friend to put him in the gossip magazine again.
1: <laughs> He's in three separate gossip magazines.
0: He gets the cover story, which is why he's brought in on a Saturday, and this all is revealed, as we hinted at earlier, to be um, part of the sort of three-dimensional chess <laughs> <laughs> carried out by uh, by Leona Lansing, who's trying to create a context in which to potentially fire, uh, fire Will, which kind of, it, you know, it adds a sort of gravity to this that makes me not as bothered by it
1: yeah it, it, it almost it felt like an almost an absurd twist to be like actually yeah. they they had they had they were planning this all along wahaha ha. and we get the like flashback to that scene where she's like I will figure out a way to fire Bill and that the people will make the decision I won't I don't even have to do anything we'll, we'll just get fired I' won't even I don't even have to make a big deal out of it um the re- the other reveal that was kind of more interesting was and this says a lot about how will not only thinks about Mackenzie but like thinks about his relationship to his subordinates. Um, is that he, um, the reason that Leona Lanson can do this is because he took, when coming back to Newsnight, he took a non-complete clause, which, uh, or non-compete clause. Yeah. Uh, um, which is a phrase they say a lot that they don't say what it means, which is like another Sorkin thing is like, I am sh- apparently I'm supposed to know what that means. It means you cannot work anywhere else at, in the same, uh, field right. for X number of time, uh, X number of years, uh, because of your contract. Which you don't want to do in news because if you're out of the news, like, if you're off the camera for too long, then people don't care who you are anymore. Um, he took a three-year non-compete clause with with ACN on the condition that he could fire McKenzie as his uh, associate or executive producer any week, at the end of any week, which along is so petty. One,
0: along with the $1 million pay cut. Yes, exactly.
1: That's so is that petty. That's that's what I thought. I was like, "Damn, this guy really has it, it just out." Seems, for his, it his seems it ex-
0: seems beyond petty. It seems like broken. I don't know. There's just something about that that's so It's like absurd. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a lot. I mean, but it, I I felt that when that was revealed. I felt that as as an emotional reveal um that felt character driven, even if it's exaggerated. You know, Will's a super rich guy and he's kind of reckless and that kind of that just gives me more information about really how hurt he was by the by the cheating yeah so I was I wasn't that bothered by it um well I think
1: I've I've I was telling Magellan John earlier that this is like my one of the most memorable episodes for me um because so much happens and a lot of it hinges on the fact that it's all about the build-up it's all about escalation and then collapse and people worrying about how they can or cannot fix other people. Like, that's where the title comes from. Mm-hmm. And then just because, in case you weren't sure what the theme was, uh, we start getting the beginnings of Coldplay's Fix You as Maggie, <laughs> who, after getting yelled at by Jim, which, side question, before I get to my point, yep. why is Jim able... What What position does Jim have that he can not only force Maggie to stay there and work, but he can tell people when to go home? He's,
0: like, Max second in command and she's executive producer so he's yeah, high up so he's pretty high up
1: cuz there's a part like in the first episode where he's like this girl great job have a good night go home this guy high five take a, take a knee go go for a little break like i'm like wait what is t-? literally 3 episodes ago jim was like the new guy who was like i i can do the good news <laughs> right um yeah. but i guess he does have he does have that cloud that's not unrealistic and while Maggie is basically doing... And I, li- I like that this is a position at a news um, network is the person who has to sit on the internet and wait for something to happen in case something happens. Yeah. Even on the weekends. Um, she basically just sits at a computer. Nothing's happening. And then, boop, we get the classic noise of a red news item. Uh, Arizona uh, gubernatorial candidate Gabrielle Giffords was shot and killed.
0: <gasps> I think... She, wasn't she a... A senator or something, or senator, a congresswoman? yes.
1: I can't. I I knew it was really because they, they said gubernatorial in the first one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was the first one. Oh man, the newsroom. It's a very cohesive show. Um.
0: <laughs> yeah, she's a uh, representative.
1: There you go. Yeah, she was at a rally basically, um, and then was shot and and is being reported as killed. And so they start. You get this like instant rush of the news happening, um, with like everyone's on phones. Uh, Don has that stupid thing where he points across the way and goes like, Tess, yeah. I'm giving you a phone number. Quickly. Yeah, 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 yeah. People are writing on notepads. Will is on two phones at one point. He's on like a, a landline and a cell phone at the same time. <laughs> I love this shit so much, dude. I know. <laughs> it's just delicious. Yeah. Um, it's also like, I don't, know if that stuff is dated because i don't know how the news is done now but i feel like a lot of this shouldn't it shouldn't require this much um tech being you like are we still why are we still using landline phones um what kind of like technology do we have to get people on for interviews and all this stuff it feels weirdly like almost dated
0: yeah i don't know if that's just because aaron sorkin is drawing from knowledge that's older or if It's intentionally supposed to look dated, to kind of get at the nostalgia piece. Or if it really is that dated, it's hard to say.
1: But yeah, we get all this as the music is swelling, and it's a really it—it's genuine. Like this is the scene I showed to Magellan when we were trying to like pick which show to watch. Mm -hmm. Is I was like, here's the shit that happens on the newsroom, and I I showed him the fix you scene. Um, and it all basically wraps up with Will sitting at the news desk preparing to report that Gabrielle Giffords is dead because NPR reported on it. But wait, she might not be, but everyone else is saying that she did. And then Reese comes downstairs in a huff. And it really never, uh, this this is mean, but like Chris Messina is a very short man and he never, is never intimidating to me. Hmm. <laughs> Even though he's like very muscular and buff and like built, he's still like shorter than everyone else. So he just, just kind of like waddles in and he's like, hey, Will, ratings are going to plummet if you don't say the, do the, say she's dead. And then Will has that great line where he's like, uh, no, Dawn says that, I think. It's a
0: person. A doctor pronounces her dead, not the news.
1: Which is a really good line. And then, uh, they wait a little bit, and then someone's like, oh, she's alive. We did it. Yay. She's alive. It just, it almost feels like they're like congratulating themselves on her being alive.
0: It's so callous. It, it is really, really weird. Because. The bar this time around for characters doing the news good is that they waited a little longer before confirming something, but, like, the alternative is they would have said she's dead, and then two minutes later they would have said, wait, oh, actually Correction. we're getting reports that she's alive. Yeah, and that's why it. not just wait? Like, that, do it and then... That's yeah. what they averted, so it, <laughs> the stakes are totally bogus here, Um but they count this as a huge moral victory for themselves. And there's, there's the moment where they have like, just that's just happened or they've just thrown to a clip or something. And then everybody kind of rushes in the room and it's like, Don, you're the best fucking guy in news. You're so fucking good at the news. Like punch me in the face or whatever. And <laughs> like you're a goddamn
1: newsman. And if I ever tell you any wise, you can punch me in the fucking face. Yeah.
0: They like keep swearing at each other and telling each other. And that then Maggie's great. like, I fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's fine you're doing fine she's like i fucked up and it's, it's it's so silly when you either view it out of context or think too hard about the context but if you just kind of let it wash over you it feels like it's good like
1: that and that you just described the newsroom Magellan. it's like an affecting you just complete that. This, this is exactly why I used this scene to show it to you. Is I was like, yeah, this is a scene where if I if I told you everything that happened to lead to this, you'd be like, that's super dumb. And if I told you nothing, you'd be like, that's hilarious. But with just a little bit, just enough, and then kind of like let your brain shut off for a second. It's like, oh, I this hit me. This worked. Yeah. There's a moment in there for sure. And then Jim and... Uh, jim and maggie like look at each other and smile flirtatiously amongst this is like declaration of this woman not being killed
0: fatally like i know i know oh my god
1: oh my goodness gracious aaron uh... aaron oh aaron um that was awkward to me and then more awkward was like the la- one of the last lines of the episode is uh joey my favorite my second favorite character the the graphics guy someone's like, joey <laughs> yeah. joey just breathe regular <laughs> And he just, he control A, highlights the obituary text, and then erases it, and then goes, oh
0: <laughs> my god.
1: Like, like, oh my god, dodged a huge, but why does any of this matter? Just declare it dead and then change the connection <coughs> oh. I know. And that's where the episode ends.
0: Ugh. So, stray thoughts. Um, We didn't talk about the Neil plotline, but it just drove me nuts. Um, I hate the brown guy's comic relief. His, like, crazy nerd shit is comic relief. Yeah, that he, like, thinks Bigfoot is real or something, and he keeps trying to convince people Bigfoot is real. But it's not funny, and it really kind of ruins Neil's credibility as a character for no reason. Because we're supposed to think that, you know... In the first episode, he's set up as like the guy who understands things that other people don't understand and they need explained to them. But in this episode, he's the guy who believes crazy crackpot stuff like WikiLeaks and Bigfoot. And he's silly. And both of both of them are bad. Right. His role in this episode is... one was less bad than this one.
1: Definitely. His role in this episode is for him to go, like, so Bigfoot. And then when someone's like, all right, never mind, shut up. Yeah, over get, get away over from over. me! Ugh,
0: this nerd! Ugh.
1: Oh my god, it's bad! It's really bad! Yeah, I'm trying to. Do you have any other straight notes? While I find my last one. Uh, let's see. I liked that they played pink as soon as it struck uh, twelve o'clock on New Year's. I like really annoying, repetitive pink song. And all the right. <laughs> That's where we have to
0: stop, or we we'll get copyrighted. No, oh, we're getting copyrighted. Three. Three lines from the kind of New Year's Eve sequence that I wanted yeah. to touch on. The first is, um, well, four lines, actually. Don and Maggie in unison say, This is the worst fix-up ever. I'm not talking about having him take a bride. I'm talking about getting him starting off the new year with, with a the bang. bang. Yeah, You see what I did? <laughs> in reference to Jim uh, meeting that Lisa. Lisa. That was really yep. gross. Yep. Um, there's an exchange, I think that Will has with either Mac or Sloan. I don't even remember. Um, no, never mind. I don't remember enough context for this to make sense, so never mind. There's a there's an exchange that he has – Oh, one that I missed from last episode, I think, where Will is yelling at, at Mac and says, You have pen on your face. And she says, I work with pens. <laughs> I remember this. That oh, was the last one. I forgot to say that. Uh, this episode, something that Will says is – they're like she writes for a gossip magazine, and he says it's New Year's Eve. I don't care if she writes for Mein Kampf. <laughs> <It's> like whoa, <laughs> <Why>? <laughs> that's, not, that's not that's not a, like a clever kooky line. That's a lot to handle yeah. there. That that feels like a line that
1: was should have been left on the cutting room floor. That's a really yeah. bad badly written line.
0: Um, and then one that I did. I did appreciate was Will is uh, giving his lecture to Nina about um, gossip magazines and why they're bad. Yeah. And he starts numbering the reasons and then he gets to f- four and then he goes like a and she says, Oh, there's subheadings, which uh, <laughs> puts a nice lampshade on the fact that will constantly, it feels like every time he goes into one of those speeches, he numbers what he says.
1: Yeah, it's true. Um, That's a good point. I, my, other my notes, one was uh, the joke of uh, Lisa having her ringtone be uh, that Rod Stewart song, the Do You Think I'm Sexy song, mm-hmm. is used to quote-unquote great comedic effect. Um, <laughs> when uh, I think, so like uh, Maggie calls Jim to be like, hey, some news shit is happening on Czech Political. Literally, she's like, go to Politico, click on this button. Like, why is there so much dialogue about her telling him how to look at Politico? <laughs> <laughs> And then Don, the clever fuck that he is, calls Lisa, and they hear her ringtone in the background, and then that is what sparks the awkwardness later. Um, also in that scene, we get to see Jim shirtless, and Jim has gigantic pancake nipples. Oh, my God. <laughs> I just want to, like, cook him with some butter. Oh, Holy crap.
0: That's a person.
1: That's a person. <laughs> <You> t- <laughs> a chef pronounces him well done, not the news. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um the other one was just the fact that and we didn't talk about this but katherine hans character the one with the gun also talks about smoking weed and i feel like this show is making some sort of point about like the type of people that that um that smoke weed also carry guns and like making this like weird connection between those two things just like the, they, they happen to be connected yeah because he's looking for the joint in her purse and then finds the the walter ppk whatever and like, ah, oh, those aren't related. Stop. Stop. I know it's a yeah. coincidence, but
0: stop. Hmm. Yeah. There's something about that that's a little odd.
1: Yeah. And um, I think, yeah. And then, oh, yeah, just, again, all this uh, dramatic um, Gabby Gifford stuff is happening. And uh, Charlie just, again, continues to stand in the background just smiling. Going, yes, the news. Yes. Even Reese walks by him and goes, what are you doing? And he's like, just, it's going. It's Things are going great.
0: Mm-hmm. I've realized that half of the shots of Mac in the show are her biting her lip while Will does the news good.
1: Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah. With a
0: headset over the side of it, yep.
1: Yeah. yeah. Da 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 da. da, da. Fixie is such a melodramatic nonsense song. Yeah. It just puts me to sleep. And not in the good way. Uh yeah, I think that's pretty much all I have about this ep- this shm episode. Me too. That's it. Cool. Coke. God, this show has ruined the word Coke for me. I'm never going to hear it normally coke. again. Coke. Coke. Diet coke.
0: coke. He ordered a beer. I ordered a Diet Coke. <laughs> he doesn't say <laughs> the whole
1: thing. He doesn't go, de de beer, I ordered a Diet <laughs> Coke. 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 <laughs> there is something. I'll put a clip of it. But this, yeah. Will, in episode one, this is what we're laughing at, He says Coke funny. Here it is.
0: The Orioles won four to three on a walk-off double from Miguel Tejada with runners in first and third. Your father ordered a beer and I ordered a Diet Coke. Coke. Coke.
1: There it was. Good (laughs)
0: stuff. Magellan. (laughs) Yes. We got to plug. We got to actually before we plug some stuff, we got to talk about what we're doing next week. Next week, we are watching two more episodes of The Newsroom. The first is season one, episode five. Amen. In the midst of its coverage of the ouster of Egyptian President Mubarak, the Newsnight team learns of a teacher's protest in Wisconsin, prompting them to get side by side views of the simultaneous uprisings on air. Ooh. Oh boy. Ooh. That sounds kind of fun, though. Oh boy, that's interesting. Sure. Yeah. Season one, episode six Bullies. Will keeps a long standing therapy appointment. Subbing for Elliot during the Japanese nuclear crisis, Sloan's interrogation of a Tokyo Power Company spokesperson lands her in hot water. Will comes to recognize the causes and effects of being a bully.
1: Right. That one sounds real good. All right. Wait, do you think Sloan does a bad accent? No. Does she? Inter- oh, interrogation like she interrogate i thought for some reason i thought that's an impression <laughs> it's like i thought she was gonna yeah, do like that, a racist that accent. would be
0: really bad
1: yeah they. i was gonna say they wouldn't do that on the show i will never say that sentence <laughs> on when in regards to the newsroom they would do everything i've seen this whole show they do some shit <laughs> we've seen nothing yet um john let's continue to do some shit next week but first it's time for plugs If you have feedback, questions, comments, or just want to talk about what's going on in the world of news, um, you can go ahead and email us at chatspod at gmail.com. That's C-H-A-T-Z-P-O-D at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at chatspod, spelled the same way. Uh, That's where we post episodes as soon as they drop. Um, That's also where we post um, screenshots and, and little clips from the show that we enjoyed before the episode comes out, if you want little, like, teasers. I'm trying to do more on there now. Uh... It's just kind of hard to find like what people are into, but, you know, do that. Check it out. And, of course, please, if you get a chance or if you're interested and you like our show, um, review us on iTunes. Give us uh, a star rating, preferably. Write a review if you want. Um, tell us what you think. That is how people hear about the show. Um, Magellan, where can people find you
0: on the internet? People can find me on Twitter, at justafluke. That's J-U-S-T-A-P-F-L-U-K-E. They can also listen to my other show that's just me called Adulthood, which you can find on adulthood.simplecast.fm or on iTunes if you just search the word adulthood uh, and do the one that's just that word and doesn't have other words in the title. That's how you do that. And it's a picture of a baby. It's a baby. Every week I watch 15 seconds of the movie Boyhood and then I make a show and do a whole thing. Uh, And first episode back for the new year will be dropping sometime this week. (gasps) Really? Yeah. (gasps) I love it. We get to, you get to hear us talk about Coldplay even more, or hear him
1: talk about Coldplay. I'm not on that show all the time. What? Alan, what about you? You can find me on Twitter, at Alan Abraham. That's spelled A-L-L-E-N-I-B-R-A-H-I-M. Check out my Twitter while reading and drinking a diet yolk. Uh, you can also follow the other podcast that I do. It's called Fireside Friends, and it's found at firesidefriends.net. I co-host it with some friends. We are going to be recording our January episode very soon. It should be dropping at the end of this month and we're going to be talking about the video game Doki Doki Literature Club. It's fun. It's good stuff. Cool. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Chats Room. Good night.